what a wild day. Walking in my shorts yesterday, uh, walking our dogs, sweating a little bit, and just you don't know what you're going to get in Rochester. That's why it's exciting living here. You know, it's just exciting to live in Rochester. Um, we, uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking for the, at the month of January, um, looking at unity and how important unity is within um, the body of Christ. And if we look into the word of God, we see this reoccurring theme over and over and over again as you read through the word of God. And that's the theme of, of unity and we understand that the church cannot be effective unless it walks in unity. And if it's interesting, if you read through the new Testament and you see the letters, the epistles that, that Paul wrote and that Peter wrote and that John wrote, it's interesting. The, the, the common vernacular is always about how we should get along. It's, it really boils down to relationships and how many know that when you're part of a family or you're part of the church, that at times it can get messy. How many of you have never, ever had an argument in your family? Okay, I want to be part of your family, right? We, we just know the closer we get together, the more we see our flaws and the more that we see that we are different. And the Bible doesn't hide those things. The, the, it, it says that we are different, that we're not going to always see eye to eye, that there are going to be issues, but it's how do we work through those in the spirit of, of Christ. That's where we can learn. It's interesting as you look at many of these epistles, the letters that the apostles wrote, it's interesting most of them are are really written about how to get along and how to work through differences and how to love each other. That's where the real work of Christianity comes uh, to fruition. It's how do we love when it's difficult to love? Or how do we love when we don't necessarily see eye to eye? In one of Jesus's last prayers was on that very same theme of how do we walk in unity and Jesus's prayer for us and for the church and for the disciples at that time is that they would walk in unity. There's an incredible prayer that Jesus prays and it's recorded for us in John 17. And this is what John records for us. Here are the words of Jesus as he's praying, as he's getting ready to go to the cross and ready to give his life for us. Um, You would think that one of Jesus's last prayers, we would take notice. Um, We would see this as something important. And this is something that Jesus sees as vital within the context of the body of Christ. And listen to what he says. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, the ones that were walking with him then, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message, which includes you and I here today. And this is his prayer. He goes, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says that the world would believe that you sent me by how we walk in love and walk in unity and love each other. He says, I've given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. And I am in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What a, what a, what a beautiful relationship that Jesus had with the Father. That perfect unity a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity, we see glorifying each other. 
And what God says is, listen, God says, I want you to join into that dance. I want you to be part of that fellowship that we see with the, with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God invites us into that fellowship where we have a relationship with Jesus who saves us. And then he imparts the Holy Spirit within us that we can have everything we need to do the will of the Father. And so the, the problem is, how do we do it? Because we mess it up so much, don't we? Don't we just screw things up at times when we, is anybody here this morning? Just check in, all right? Nobody get any sleep last night from the wind. You know, we, we do because our flesh gets in the way, doesn't it? Our feelings get hurt. We, we get defensive. Uh, somebody doesn't agree with our opinion, right? And really, our opinion is always the best, right? Our our. Wisdom and opinion is always, always the best. And we wonder, like, well, how do, how do you not get that? Mine's the best. Why don't you get that? Right? It's that flesh that gets in the way. And so how do we walk in this love? That doesn't mean that, we don't, that we're not different or that we're not individuals and we have a different way of, of looking at, at things. But how do we walk in that love? How do we answer the prayer that Jesus prays? And I believe the word of God gives us the answer on how we can deny our flesh and walk in deeper unity with one another that the ultimate purpose is that Christ is glorified. That that the world would see Jesus in us. And, And the only way we can do that is by denying ourselves so that Christ is exalted in our midst. And so Jesus' prayer it's an important one that we need to heed daily in our lives because we're constantly fighting against that individualism of me, myself, and I. And we're constantly fighting against that. If we're not careful, that type of mentality can, can work its way into the church that we end up fighting for our wants and desires and our privileges and what we think is right. And, and we stop looking at what's most important for the whole, what's most important for the body of Christ as a whole. And that's why Jesus prayed this prayer. And so what we've been looking at is last week, Pastor Brandon did a great job a couple weeks ago, kind of uh, teeing up the ball for us on what unity is and scriptures in the word of God that talk about the importance of unity. We, talk about, we talked about last week the importance of unity through prayer, that we need to be praying and seeking God's face and seeking God for each other. And prayer humbles us and gets us right before the Father and it shows us our inadequacies and our flaws so that we can humbly walk before the Lord so we can have wisdom as we approach each other. But what I want to talk about today is completely exemplified in the character and the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe that if we can exemplify this attitude and this character that we see in Christ, we are going to unify and we're going to glorify Christ in what we do. And so I want to, I want to give you um, a passage here in Philippians that kind of is our theme verse for the month of January, and Paul writing to the church in Philippi, here's what his desire is. This is what his prayer is for the church. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by arguing and fighting and disagreeing with one another. What does Paul say there? 
He says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. So how do we walk when every one of us have different opinions about things? When we have different preferences? How do we take all those different preferences and things that we see differently or we don't see eye to eye on? How do we take those things but be like-minded and have the same purpose so those things don't tear apart at the fabric of the fellowship of the church? And, and, and doesn't allow us to glorify Christ in our life. So how do we continually create a culture in our church that leads to unity and not disunity? How do we protect the fabric of our church so that we continually walk in the unity of Christ? And so this is what I really want to I really want to poke at today. I want to poke at what is the culture of our church? What are we trying to create within our church culture? That glorifies Jesus. Have you, ever, have you ever worked at a job that you just did not like? That you just, you just hated, right? You ever had, had those jobs where you're like, man, you just didn't, maybe you're at that job right now. We just don't want to wake up and you don't want to go. And have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why you just didn't like that job? I'll give you the answer. The reason why you didn't like that job is because if you boiled it down, it would be the culture of that company. There's something within the culture of that company that is poisonous or negative or whatever that just, that just makes you not want to go. And there, there may have been jobs where you maybe didn't make enough, a lot of money, but you liked going to it because there was a different culture within in that company. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Chick-fil-A now that we have Chick-fil-A here in Rochester. How many, how many have been to, to Chick-fil-A? Okay, let's do a field trip right now. For those who haven't gone, let's go to Chick-fil-A right now. Oh, we can't because they're not open on Sunday. Okay, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it. You've got to make sure you get to Chick-fil-A. So here's, here's the thing. I talk about Chick-fil-A a lot. But the reason why I talk about it is because they have a very interesting culture uh, within the dynamics of that, of that company. Um, let me be completely honest with you about Chick-fil-A. I talk about Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. My kids love Chick-fil-A. But let, can I be completely honest with you about Chick-fil-A? Um, they sell chicken and fries. They sell chicken sandwiches. That's it. They sell chicken and fries. Um, they're good. The chicken and waffle fries are good. Their milkshakes are good. Their chicken strips are good. Their breakfast biscuit sandwiches with chicken are good, especially if you get the little tiny ones, the little biscuit and a little piece of chicken in there, and you can eat like 60 of them. They're good. They're good. I love them. Um, they're buttery biscuits that oh man my stomach I got lightheaded there for a minute okay so they they are they are good I mean but but it's not rocket science okay what 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 makes it great fast food is not necessarily the food itself the food food is good but what makes it a place where people want to work the reason why Chick-fil-a is a great place is they've created a great culture. It's not that the food is probably the best in the whole world, but what they've done is they've created a great culture. The company has helped its employees to see something that they're all unified on. And and they speak this to their employees. It's all about excellence and customer service. I have never had a bad experience at a Chick-fil-A. Never. I mean, it's always like 
can you get this? Oh, it'd be my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's my, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure, right? That's what they're supposed to say to the customer. They care about their employees. They care about their customers. And so what they've created within their employees is this great culture to work in. It's not a poisonous culture. It's not a it's not stepping on each other type of culture, but it's a great culture to work for. And you could work at a place and not make a lot of money, but love it because it's a place where you want to go because of the culture. They created something very special there. Now, I noticed something um, watching my daughter play six years of volleyball and, and actually having a chance to coach my daughter uh, one year at the JV le- level. And I noticed that the, just watching other teams and, and so on and so forth, I've noticed that the attitude of the players usually reflect the attitude of the coach. That's why my girls had terrible attitudes. No, I'm just teasing. They, they were good. They were, I had a great, great group of girls. But I've noticed something. Um, so I've kind of studied this from, from just looking at coaches and just sitting on the sideline and just kind of watching uh, the girls play and kind of watching the coach too, just from being a parent um, sitting in the stands. I remember seeing one coach. I mean, she was just getting on her players all the time. She put her hands in her face every time their player would make a, a, a you know, just a bad play. And then when they would call a timeout, they would just land blast the players. What are you doing? This is what we pray, blah, 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 blah. And then when you see the players, you could see noticeably on the court, That same attitude, they weren't encouraging each other. Um, They were visibly frustrated all the time. And you could see that the the coach created this culture within their team of frustration. And it was seen, it, it got passed down to the players. Now, I've seen the opposite happen. My son Wesley played high school baseball and I can remember we played this one team. We played uh, a city school, Wilson, and we were playing, you know, had a baseball game. And I remember my son, Wes, he hit a double, and he's on second base. And I noticed the second baseman um, took his glove and just slapped Wesley across the face. No, I'm just teasing. He took, his, he took his glove, and he just tapped Wesley, and he said, hey, great hit, and slapped him on the rear end and said, hey, great, great hit. And Wesley goes, thank you. This was amazing to me. The whole team was that way. They were, they were congratulating the kids that got a good hit. And we, we, when we got done with the game, they were saying, hey, great. And it was a close game. I think we won by a run or two. It was a really close game. And uh, here's a team that didn't win. It was a close game. And they were congratulating our team. And so I, I couldn't let that go. I couldn't let it go. So what I did was I went up to the coach. And I said, coach, can I, can I just talk to you for a second? I'm a parent um, on the other team. And I said, I have never witnessed a greater display of sportsmanship than I have today. What, I go, what have you done with these boys that give them such great attitudes on the, on the field? And he, he goes, wow. He goes, thanks for sharing that with me. He goes, I really appreciate it. He goes, he goes I work hard at really trying to encourage these boys. He goes, a lot of these boys have rough families and they come from rough backgrounds and he goes I see something more than baseball with these young men he goes I want to do something more with them I want he goes I want to I want to help them become young men that grow into responsible older men and I feel like the vehicle is baseball because they love to play baseball I said well guess what you're doing a phenomenal job 
keep it up. What that coach did is create an incredible culture within these young men to show them there's something more important than just winning a game. It's your character. It's your character. What, what are you creating in that culture um, that made it great? He was developing their character, and I've never seen anything like it. Because when you're at a sporting event, it can go south real quick. Any of you that had to have watched any kind of high school, whatever, it's not usually that way, right? Usually not that way. It's usually parents screaming at the refs. It's usually, you know, whatever it is. It's usually not, not that way. And so here, here's the thing. I, here's the thing. When people come into our church, we want them to see the hope of Christ and the love that we share for each other. And we should never, ever forget that. That, that. What is our purpose? What is the reason why we come to church? Is it just to come to church and sit here and listen to great worship music and listen to the best preaching in the world and then go out on our day? Just teasing or just teasing. The worship part, it was, it was true. The preaching, not so much. But listen, is that is that all it is? See, what, what Jesus says is he... He wants his love and what he did for us to completely revolutionize our lives. That not only is it seen in in how we treat each other, but it's seen in how we represent Christ in the world. And so we want to make sure that we're protecting the culture of our church. That what we're saying is it's really not about me as much as it is about Jesus and what he did for us. And I believe when we can keep that attitude and we can we can check our attitudes aside i believe christ will be glorified and we can protect and continue to protect the fabric of unity uh, within our church and so we want people to come into our church and see the hope that we have and that's why i wanted to focus on unity in the month of january and so last week we talked about prayer but this week i want to talk about serving and how serving builds unity within the church. And really serving really goes right to the heart of Christ. And, and I believe if, if, if we can continually have the mindset of serving and not forget that, um, I believe that will protect us in continually walking forward in unity and continually build unity with our church and protect us from the schemes of the enemy who would want to rip a, away at the fabric of our church. And I, and I think the way the enemy does that many times is when we stop looking at each other and we look at ourselves. And what do I need? What do I want? And, and all of a sudden, it, it turns into me. And that's where fights and quarreling begins to happen. We have to do everything to protect that and ask ourselves, God, it's really not about me. It really is about Jesus. And so I want to look at some passages here that really show the heart of Christ and how Christ continually to serve us even when we really didn't deserve to be served. But this is the heart of Christ and this is the example that he leaves the church for us today. Because really, if, if you hear any arguments or there's disagreements, it's usually because I'm not getting my own way. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. The reason why we fights and the word of God says there's fights and quarreling among us is because really we're not, we're not getting our own way. And so let's, let's look at, at how we do this. So 
let me ask you a question. Why should we serve one another? That, that's not, this isn't, this isn't a question many times you hear in the world. Um, you're not going to hear this much in the workplace. Like you come to workplace and, and they ask you in a, you know, in a, in a job interview, they're not going to ask you, you know, how can you serve one another? How can you make other people around you better than yourself? It's usually focused on you and what are you going to bring to the company and how are you going to cause us to go forward? It's really not about how you serve one another. You're not going to hear this phrase much in our world today. But the answer to this question is this, why should we serve one another? Because Jesus first served us. That's why we serve. Because Jesus set the example by first serving us. And so Jesus gives us the reason and the purpose for him coming to earth. And this is what Jesus says. Matthew records it for us. It says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and then give his life as a ransom for many. Look at this verse. So Jesus says, I've come not to be served, not to, not to necessarily lift myself up, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. That, that was his objective. That was Jesus' calling. Jesus' calling was about us. Was about lifting us up by taking the burden of sin off of our life. Now, if we can get this mentality, this means that we will be gospel-centered. And I'll tell you what, when we have this kind of mindset, you automatically create unity within the body of Christ. Because Christ is glorified. And we deny ourselves and we lift up Christ. See, this to me is just a fantastic statement. Because Jesus first comes to serve us, give us something that we don't deserve. And what Jesus does is he gives us his very own life. In fact, Jesus uses this very interesting word, ransom. And really, the, the, the word ransom is really taken from the slave market. And it's interesting here. The word ransom literally means it's, it's a word used for the purchase price of actually freeing a slave. So Jesus uses this word on purpose. And this is the reason why. Jesus comes and what he does is he becomes our payment for the penalty of our sin. So Jesus, what he does is by his own life, he gives us that ransom note. Through his own life, he purchased us back from the bonds of sin. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It wasn't because of our goodness. Jesus becomes our substitute. Literally, his perfect sinless life for our imperfect sinful life. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus does something for us that we can't do for ourselves. So Jesus gives his life. He, he pays the ransom price, the ransom note. In fact, if, you're, if we were to look up at the cross now, Jesus isn't on the cross, right? He's, he's alive and he's in heaven. But there's a note across the cross now that says paid in full. Everything that Jesus did, he paid in full for us to redeem us back from the bonds of sin. And so Jesus' whole mission was a rescue mission to rescue us and release us from the bonds of sin that shackled us, that no way we could ever free ourselves. And so this was Jesus' whole purpose. Jesus, through his death, paid the price for our sin and frees us from the very slavery of sin. Somebody say amen. 
Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus does for us. So here's the thing. How can we serve like Jesus and continually serve like Jesus and, and thus protect the unity of the body of Christ? Well, Jesus gives us this absolutely incredible example of what servanthood is all about. Because he wanted to teach this to his disciples. Because if the disciples, the apostles around him, didn't learn this, the church would have never gone off the ground. The church would have gone nowhere. And so what Jesus does is, before his death, he sets this incredible example before the apostles, the disciples, and he says, this is what you must do. In order for the church to be propelled into the world, if the disciples did not have this type of mindset, it would have fell flat. And so Jesus is recorded for us in John 13, and uh, they're preparing for the Passover meal. And here's the example that we have in John 13. It says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. So we know he's, he's gonna, there's going to be an arrest. There's going to be a trial. And we know that eventually it would lead to Jesus' death. And so this happens right before this, those events. And this is what it says. He said he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. And it was time for the supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything. And that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table and he took off his robe. Very important that he took off his robe. And he wrapped a towel around his waist. And then, what he, he, and then he poured water into a, ba- a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Now, you may think at first glance, first glance of the story, you may think, okay, good, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, washing someone's feet is a little bit different than washing your feet today because most of us, we wear shoes, and for most of us, our, our, you know, our feet are clean, right? Well, it wasn't like this. They wore sandals. People would, not to make it sound gross, but people would just throw everything in the streets. So you'd just be walking through whatever. And so the, cust- the custom was when you would come into someone's house, there would be a servant there to wash your feet. It was just customary. And so that would be the first thing to happen is that there would be a servant. You'd walk into the house they would clean and, 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 and wash your feet. It was a very lowly job of all the stuff that was on your feet. And they would do that. So at first glance, we might not think this is a big deal that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But what Jesus does here is he sets the standard before us and his disciples of servanthood. He sets the standard for them. See, our growth And unity in the church relies entirely on understanding what Jesus does here. If if you can understand this, it'll save you a lot of heartache in your relationships. This is the best marriage counseling I could ever give you. Um, This is the best counseling I could ever give you in the way we deal with people in the world and the way we deal with each other in, in the world. If, if, if you want to see unity, this, this right here, this example that, that Jesus gives us, will save us a lot of heartache from dysfunctional relationships. And so here's what Jesus teaches them. Jesus does what no one else would do. 
So they're all sitting there and they're waiting for the servant. They're waiting for somebody to come. They're eating this dinner and everybody's sitting around and they're all looking at each other and there's no one to wash each other's feet. And no one, none of the disciples jump up to wash each other's nasty feet. No one's doing it. So they're all looking around. They're saying, hmm, okay, I guess we're just, we're, we're not going to do this. See, in that culture, you would have this student master or teacher relationship. It was all the process of discipleship. You would have a, a, a student and then you would have a master or a teacher over them. And there was this relationship that they would grow in discipleship. A student would choose a teacher and then learn from that teacher and serve that teacher or master as their disciple. They, they would choose that. And, and, and in that culture, especially if you were following a rabbi in that culture, you would follow really close to that rabbi. In fact, there's a saying of the, of the, the dust of the rabbi. You'd follow so close to them that their dust would kick off and, and, and hit you. And so there's this close relationship. Then if, if you did everything correctly, especially if you're following a rabbi and you did everything they wanted, then they would finally choose you. But you first had to choose them. And so here's this relationship of a disciple and a teacher. And you basically did everything they asked you to, to do. And so here's the interesting thing. The student would do any task the master would ask them, except one. Do you know what that one thing was? Wash feet. That was the only thing a student wouldn't stoop so low to do. That was the lowest of the low shot. Hey, uh, master, you want me to take out the garbage? I'll take out the garbage. Uh, you want me to wash the windows? I'll, I'll wash the windows. You want me to clean out the grease trap? I used to have to do that at Wendy's. I was the grease trap guy. Nastiest job in the world, right? And I remember it was always on my shift once a month. They're like, oh, Bart, it's on you. You did such a good job last time that we want you to clean out the grease traps this time. Really? Why didn't I just screw that up? Why didn't I mess that up? And so, you know, the, the, okay, I'll do it. But for, for, for these students, the one job that no one would do that they would say no to is washing the feet. That job, the reason why, that job was reserved for the lowest of the lowest slave. Basically, when you do that, you're completely humbling yourself. Humility. And you, you didn't want to humiliate yourself by stooping to that low of a job. Are you, are, you, are, you following? are you tracking with me here? Notice what Jesus does. Visibly takes off his robe, puts on the servant's towel, and then bows before them and takes on the most lowest menial job there was out there to wash others' feet. So, the thing we have to think, if, if Jesus was willing to do that, then we have to ask ourselves, is there anything beneath me that I should be unwilling to do? If Jesus was willing to do this for me, and he loved me by his grace, and he saved me by his grace, then there's nothing that I shouldn't do that Jesus doesn't call me to do. See, that's the servant's heart. And so what Jesus does is he says, this is, this is how you're going to get along. This is how the church is going to grow, is by you taking the towel, not, not the best seat, but by you taking the towel, 
wrapping it around your waist and learning to serve each other. So Jesus takes the role of the lowest slave to serve, the son of God, who is God. God knelt down and took on the role of a slave, of a servant, to minister, to serve, and to humble himself. He said, this is the heart to the Father. See, we will not grow in unity if we are looking around for someone else to do the serving. Somebody say, ouch, okay? See, if I'm, if I, we're not going to grow in unity. If, if I'm looking around for someone else to do that, someone else to do that job, someone else to serve. You know, listen, I heard one pastor say this for married couples. It should be a competition of submission. It should be this, how are we serving each other? Not, not, not who, it's not a, you know, it's, it's a good competition. It's not tit for tat and, you know, and it should be like, man, in my love for Christ, I, I want to look for ways to serve other people. And am I walking in that servant attitude? Because, listen, we all fight it and I fight it too. We live in a very entitled culture, don't we? That everything's about me and serving me and I, I deserve to have this type of service because I did this and it's very entitled and if we're not careful, we can lose the sense of servanthood of why Jesus came. And so that's why Jesus wanted to protect the fabric of the unity of the church by setting for them an, an example. So Jesus teaches us that in order for us to grow, we have to serve one another. If we're going to continue to grow as a church and continue to fight for unity within the church, then we have to continually just to serve um, one another. Every servant of God needs to ask this question. Are you ready? Every servant of God needs to ask this question. What am I doing to make those around me better? That you always ask yourself, what am I doing to make those around me better? That, that's a question that we continually need to ask ourselves. Um, there, there was a, there's a woman in our church, and um, she lost her husband a couple years ago, and they never had any children. And um, just very, very difficult when you lose a spouse. And I remember talking to her, and she was just like, I just, I want to serve in the church. I want to serve more. And, and she started helping out with um, our girls on Wednesday night. And she thought, I never thought in a million years I'd work with children. And she goes, you know what? I love it. And she goes, now I have 12, 13, 14, 15 daughters that I serve. And just talking with her and seeing her face, how much she enjoys doing that, it's amazing how she's serving and loving on these young girls and allowing God to use her in a place that she never thought she would be used in. It's a miracle. It's amazing. And see, for some of us, it's taking that step of faith to say, you know, God, where, where do you want to use me? What, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me in this, in this area? And it's, it's taking that step of faith to saying, God, where do you want me to serve? And ask God to open up the doors for you on, 
on, on where that might be. And some of you um, that are serving specifically in the church today, I want to say thank you for serving. We can't do it, you know, the majority of the things that get done around our church are all done through volunteers. And it's always remembering the reason why I serve is to serve you, Jesus. When, 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 I, when I don't feel like I'm getting the accolades or, or feel like maybe I'm not being appreciated, just remember that it ultimately is about Jesus and it's for his glory. And that will always help us in our attitude, knowing that Jesus, I'm ultimately doing this for you. Because how many know there's going to be times where it's just not fun? Right? It's just not fun. It's not fun. But I'm here to serve you, Jesus. Sometimes people aren't going to reciprocate what you're, what you're putting out or the love that you're giving. It's not going to be reciprocated. But you know what? I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it for Jesus. Because you first served me. Do you realize that when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, there was one disciple that was in that group that he still washed their feet? You know who that was? That was Judas. Did Jesus know what he was going to do? Could have easily said, you know, I'm going to do everybody else's feet, but you, nah, I know you're going to betray me. You can wash your own stanky feet, right? He didn't say that. He washed all of their feet. It's a heart of humility. And see, when we can grab that into our hearts and our lives, it changes the way we look at things. It changes the way we look at relationships. It changes the way uh, we look at our marriage. Um, It's not about being a doormat and just allowing people to take advantage of you. But what it is is saying, God, you came to serve me first. And what am I doing to serve you? Think, Think about how you can serve to make those around you better. Even if it's as simple as opening the door for someone that they might get in before you, just do that. I mean, I know for me, here's my selfishness. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I just, I think about myself, right? Can I get an amen for anyone that we just kind of think about ourselves at times? All right, anybody else with me so I don't feel so bad? All right, good, three of you. Good, okay. So, um, you know, it's like you walk into a restaurant, you want to get in front of those people in front of you. Right, so I drop Kathleen off in front. I go, Kathleen, run, so we can get that bump. Go, hurry up, run! I almost run her down to get, you know. Or, or you're you're walking in the parking lot, and and you know this big party of six is walking in front of you, and you're like, okay, who can who can go faster to get in the door here, right? And the Lord convicts me about that. I say, you know, open the door and let them in first. You know, the Lord. It's like, it's it's just little things like that that I I need God's help in about serving. And not always having to be first. It's something that we fight. We're always going to fight that selfishness in, in our hearts and our lives. And, 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 and Jesus wants to continually remind us that it's about him that we're here to serve. And when we do that, Christ is exalted and, and, and the church is, is unified. And my heart is at peace because I know that I'm not doing it for me. You know, when I do things for me, how many know it's so short-lived? But when we do it for Christ, it's an eternal glory that he receives. And I, gotta, I have to constantly remind myself of, of that. And I want us as a church to always have this in the back of our mind, that church isn't about me, it's about we. Sorry about the bad grammar. <laughs> but church isn't about me, it's about us. It's about community. The reason why God gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, is not so that I'm exalted, 
but that I use them to build up the body of Christ. And so let's always have in the back of my mind, how, how are we at encouraging others, building up others, and serving others? And I believe we continue to do that as a church. I believe Jesus will continue to be glorified in our, in our midst. And I know the enemy wants to work his, his way into our church and our body all the time. But may we never forget the reason why Jesus came. And he came to give his life as a ransom. So remind yourself when you feel alienated or you feel you didn't get your own way or you feel slighted or you get defensive, just remind yourself that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for you and I, that he came to serve and not be served. And it will change your mindset. It will give you a peace to know that it's all for Jesus anyways. Amen? it's, It's all for his glory. So Jesus serves us and pours into us so that we would do the same to others. Jesus serves us and he pours his life and his grace, his Holy Spirit into us, so that we will do the same for others. The, the reason why I, I, I love going on, on missions trips, one of the reasons I love going on missions trips, is I love to see the heart of, because you're with people for you know, nine, ten days and you know, you're just living with people. You're doing life together. You can't slip away to your own houses. I mean, it's, it's, you're there. You're stinking together. You're working hard together. It's hot, you know. And, um, but what I love to see is when we go on a mission, the reason why the missions are so great is because we all have the same mindset that we're there to serve that church. It's not about us. It's about serving that pastor and that church. And it's amazing how the group walks in unity. And you just see people serving and working, and it's great for me just to sit back. I like to sit back a lot and watch other people work. It's just amazing to see that. That's my gift. My gift is to sit back and watch other people work. It's just amazing. And God ministers to me through that. Just teasing. Um, and, and it's amazing to me how, how we walk in unity and how the group works because the mentality there is about serving, serving, serving. It's not a vacation. It's not club med. It's, not, it's about serving, serving, serving. And it's wonderful to see how... The body of Christ works in union. And what's amazing is that what first-timers, newbies on missions trips will always say to me is that when they go, they always say, you know, I was there thinking that I'm there to bless other people. I'm there to use my gifts of construction or whatever to bless other people. And what ends up happening is the church there and the people there end up serving us. And then the majority of the people that go on trips, they always say, man, I thought I was going to go there to be a blessing, but instead I feel blessed on the way they served us and they cooked for us and they ministered to us. I remember we were on one trip. Some of you may have been on that trip. Ladies in the church gave all the ladies in our group pedicures. So I'm like, what about the men? What happened there? No, I'm just saying. It was just amazing to see, and some of you may have been on that trip. I think it was, I can't remember. It may have been Costa Rica. But it was amazing to see the church serving our ladies by giving them all pedicures. I mean, it's just, do you see how that works? That's how it works when we serve each other. It's just contagious and it just edifies Jesus and it glorifies Jesus. And we feel better for it because it's not about us. It's all about Jesus. And so my question to you is, is where can you start serving to make others better in Jesus? 
And so if you're, if you're, if you're serving now, thank you, thank you, thank you for using your gifts, times, talents for the Lord. And, and I would just encourage you to keep having the same attitude of Jesus and don't, don't lose that passion for serving and glorifying Jesus. And if you're here today and you haven't taken that, that step forward um, to, to find an area to, to serve in, I would just encourage you to pray about that and ask the Lord where he wants you to serve. God has gifted all of us with unique gifts and talents to use for the building up of the body. And it's amazing all the different things that need to occur within the body of Christ in order for the church just to operate. And, and we need you to do that and to use what God has given you to help better the church. It's not the big things. It's not the huge things. It's just being available and saying, God, I just, you know, just use me the way you can use me. And it's amazing how God can do that. I mean, I had the same struggle when I became a brand new Christian. And I, I always thought that God only used the people that can sing or, you know, these great, you know, upfront type of things. And I remember going to my youth pastor saying, well, what can I do? I mean, I, I can't sing. I can play the kazoo, you know. Um, but I don't know. He goes, Barton, you know what I need you to do? I need you to be a greeter and to sit with new kids that come to the youth group that have been here for the first time. Would you be that guy? Would you be the guy that would just introduce yourself and say, hey, you have nobody to sit with? I'll sit with you in youth group today. It was like I had a VA. It was like, I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. I can greet new kids. I can talk to them. I have the gift of gab. I can do that. I can, I can do that. And that's what I did. I was a greeter, and I would sit with new kids um, that would come into youth group. Just ask God, God, where do you want to use me? Because I just want to glorify you and the gifts that you've given me. And what happens within the body of Christ is we protect the unity of our body when we serve. Amen? So I want to pray for you today and, and just ask the Lord just to continue to protect us and to use you as you step out in faith and to protect our minds and our attitudes from going wayward and making sure we continue to focus on, on Jesus, not on me, but on we as we serve each other. And I just want to thank you as your pastor and how you do serve each other. I love seeing how you reach out to people that are hurting. Some of you acts groups, your small groups, just you've reached out to those that are hurting. We have one acts group that uh, a lot of women that have lost a spouse are in that acts group. And the way they minister to each other is just unbelievable to me to see what God does in that group. And I could just go on and on. Our, you know, the people that work in the nursery and our children's church workers that give up maybe coming to a service on Sunday to minister to kids. And that's how many know working with kids is just the easiest thing in the world, right? We know that, right? And, and, and they sacrifice coming here to minister to your kids. I'm so thankful for our workers that do it because they want Jesus glorified and they want to teach, they want to teach kids about Jesus and how to love Jesus more. I'm so thankful for that and for that heart. So thank you for serving and may we continue to walk in that vein. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray and I let you off into this beautiful Sunday <laughs> in Rochester. Amen. Would you pray with me for unity for our church, a continual unity 
And as we pray for our volunteers and our workers, and we're so thankful for them. And I want to pray for you that God would continue to use you and cause you to take a step of faith in maybe some areas that you never thought you would do before to be used for God's glory, not my own. So, Father God, I want to thank you for our church. I want to thank you for your people. I want to thank you for leaving us such an incredible example. And I know, Lord, in my life, I, I, I struggle and I fight against that selfishness or getting my own way. Keep, keep pricking our hearts that it's about you, Jesus. It's about lifting others up so they may draw closer to you. And I pray, God, that, that um, our hearts would be steadfast on the servanthood mindset that when we do that, it protects the fabric of our church in you, Jesus. And I just thank you for all our volunteers. Lord, I thank you for those that that give up their time to serve you when they could be doing a million other things. I thank you for those that give up their time to go on a missions trip to to, um, sacrifice money and vacation time and to go serve somebody they don't even know. Thank you, God, for that. I thank you for our church and the way they give to you, God, so that you're glorified. God, I pray that you would just protect us and just help us to just continue to take those steps forward. God, when, when we feel slighted, Lord, help us to come back to the cross and just realize it's for you. Help your grace and your forgiveness to flow through our lives as we deal with each other. But Lord, may that mindset of what you did for us by kneeling down and and washing our feet, God. Lord, help us never to forget that that there's no job that is so menial that we should be willing to do for you, Jesus. Lord, I just thank you for people, just our children's work. I just think of a time when one of our children's workers had to clean up throw up in in the hallway, God, and she was the first one to jump at that and do that. Lord, thank you for that heart. Help us never to lose that heart of thankfulness for what you've done for us, Jesus. So we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for being that ultimate example for us. And I just pray as now we go, Lord, in you, that we would just walk in that unity together and that you would be glorified in the way that we serve each other. We love you. We thank you. And we want to be careful to ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.